Yes, indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like is the dream of having an ocean full of soda just a fantasy? Hi, America. Hello, world. My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show, more questions than answers. The only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week, my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in, especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests. Somewhere in the bitterly cold, barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains. With the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your lights and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting or for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of this would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. So let me introduce our guests. Firstly, the mysterious and effervescent Heather Morris. She's been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Investigations, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now one of the leading audio and EVP experts with the International Paranormal Society, and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather's family were very traditional at Christmas, Once her uncle hung himself on Christmas Eve, and they never took him down until the 6th of January. Welcome to the show, Heather. That's terrible. Heather, the inventor, of course, of Morris Code, as we discovered on last week's episode. (laughs) I also wish to introduce the mad and crazy (laughs) Michelle Corey. Michelle was born and raised in Moira, Minnesota, and has a keen and avid interest in all things paranormal this week i got michelle a lovely set of miniature perfumes for christmas called ample they were tiny but i don't think she could see i had scratched the s off them welcome to the show michelle they smell good they do smell good (laughs) the inventor of course of corrugated cardboard (laughs) 
Did that make your family a lot of money back in the day? Yes. It's your great uncle, wasn't it? Corrugated mm-hmm. carbon. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. This is series two, episode 93. 93 is a well-wrapped number with a nice shiny bow with a strange hint of wee-wee. This is our Christmas show. <laughs> a lot. This is with a lot of smell of wee-wee. <laughs> Great. This is our Christmas show. Merry going Christmas. Out, Merry going Christmas, out everyone. to the world. The international dialing code of 93 will see you put through to Afghanistan. I think what Afghanistan needs now is a more modern leader, a kind of mullah light. Oh. In classical Persian finger counting, the number 93 is represented by a closed fist. So in Arabian culture, a person's lack of generosity is called a 93 because their fist is closed. Come here, Heather. I'll give you a 93. There we are. The atomic number 93 <laughs> is called Neptunium, a radioactive Ooh. metal named after Neptune, the Roman god of the sea and water. Now, they say that the human body is made up of 90% water, so oh. I'm not overweight. I'm just waterlogged, apparently. Ooh. Now, the kids next door challenged me last summer to a water fight, and I told them to wait a while so I can go and boil the kettle. Oh. There we go. These kids are always <laughs> sticking... <They're> mean. <laughs> That's terrible. These kids are always sticking together. Good scald. Oh. Michelle loves water. She freezes it into cubes and surrounds it by whiskey. Yep. Now each week, <laughs> we read out the mailbag. I love your emails. I love your letters. I love your messages. Kevin in Mankato posted... Heather has the best darn hillbilly accent I've ever heard. Agreed. (laughs) Martin in New York has written, I've never laughed harder than when I heard a hillbilly accent. (laughs) (laughs) People need to go back and listen to episode 92. Chris in California has posted, can you put names to the pictures of the wonderful ladies? I know you always introduce them, but it would help my fantasies. If I had the right name for each face, great. I can certainly do that for you. Um, Heather's sat on my right and Michelle is opposite. (laughs) Amanda in Canada says, rolled around the floor laughing at the strippers peeling to the tune of Darth Vader's theme last week. That was fantastic burlesque music. I was very proud of that moment. Finally, Sarah from Illinois posted, I listened to the Black Friday episode. I also have a weird bump on the palm of my hand too. Awesome. Now I can't (laughs) stop picking at it again. (laughs) Oh, see? We should start a club and society for people that have a strange pea-like bulge in the palm of their hand. I want to be the leader. You can certainly be the leader. <laughs> I'm the key leader. <laughs> and Michelle can be number two. Oh, thank you. Now, if you wish to contact us at any time during the show, we have a Facebook site. It is called More Questions Than Answers with Adrian Lee. All of tonight's stories will be there for you in glorious Technicolor and a lot more that we can't read out on air. If you wish to comment, if you wish to engage in all the fun, frivolity and all of the Christmas cheer, that is available for you. That's Facebook More Questions Than Answers with Adrian Lee. We have archives. The last three and a half years of shows are currently archived. You can go to soundcloud.com and search for MQTA Radio. There's three and a half years worth of shows. Um, also, remember, we're on iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And if you want to listen to us first, we are, of course, on Dark Matter 
Digital Network com at 8 p.m. Central Time every Friday. If you're currently listening to this show in the archives, why don't you listen to us at 8 o'clock on a Friday with everyone else as well? Twitter. We have a Twitter account, Adrian underscore Lee underscore Tips. That's T-I-P-S for the International Paranormal Society. We currently have 90,000 followers on there. And I also wish at the beginning of this show to give a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of our fans around the world. All of our listeners, 100,000 listeners a week in 190 countries. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. To one and all. Remember, my latest book is also out at the moment. only came out a couple of months ago. It is called Mysterious Midwest, Unwrapping Urban Legends and Ghostly Tales from the Dead. And there's a foreword written by David Ellefson of Megadeth as well. Everything you would want in a book about ghost hauntings, urban legends and history. 18 of the most haunted historical sites all the way across the Midwest. And every single review I've had on Amazon so far has been five stars. So thank you to all those individuals. I must uh, send a Christmas card to my mother. <laughs> now, we have been reading out for the last four weeks. A message from the local food shelf that's in Wyndham. There's a lady called Clarice who runs that food shelf. And we like to support our local charities, of course, here in Cottonwood County in southwest Minnesota. And Clarice is in her 70s. She volunteers her time for free to run the Wyndham food shelf. Wyndham is a town of 4,000 people. It's fallen on hard times recently. Many local businesses and factories have closed down. And without the food shelf, many families would go hungry this Christmas. Last month, 700 people were fed due to the food shelf. That's 700 out of a town of 4,000, remember. That's 159 families, according to Clarice. So they rely on our donations. They rely on our help. If you wish to help them over the Christmas period, and I will mention to you that the money we raised last year went towards buying them a walking freezer. So people that go to the food shelf can now have frozen goods to take away as well so she wants to thank us for that but if you wish to donate again the local masonic lodge has said that for every donation that we get they will equal that so your donation in effect will be doubled so if you wish to support the local food shelf here in Wyndham, they're doing fabulous work i know that every cent of that donation will go to feeding families that have fallen on poor times this Christmas. So you can write your checks to the Prudence Lodge. That's the Masonic Lodge. It's the Prudence Lodge number 97. You can write your checks to them and you need to mail that to the Wyndham Area Sharing Centre. That's P.O. Box 178 Wyndham, Minnesota 56101. And I'm not going to apologise for reading that out again. That's the Prudence Lodge 97. Make your checks payable to them. And you mail that to the Wyndham Area Sharing Centre. P.O. Box 178 Wyndham, Minnesota 56 101 and remember your donation is totally deductible and everything will be matched if you missed that address if you go to our archives I've been reading that out for the last three or four weeks and you will find all the information on there so many thanks for that now this is our Christmas theme show so I'm going to read some uh, interesting facts out I want you to guess the figures involved this is points straight oh off the bat you can run you can sprint into a lead before we've even got as far as ghosts and hauntings okay okay here we go if all the gifts in the 12 days of christmas were all added together how many gifts would you have to open 
So you get your... 98. 98. You can see. <laughs> I'm a book nerd, not a math nerd. Come on. Uh, have a wild stab in the dark. You've got five gold rings, everything added together. There's geese are laying, lords are leaping. 54. 54. Miss Morris, you have points. Straight away, I should give you one point. It's 364. What? Wow. <laughs> well, they keep going through it, oh, don't they? But, oh, I thought it was just like Yeah, one, I just thought it yeah. was one time. Yeah, one oh, time. One you time, one time. No, I think that's 364 there altogether. You shall find. The tallest Christmas tree ever cut was a Douglas fir displayed in 1950 in a shopping center in Seattle. How many feet tall was that? Douglas fir. 56. The tallest Christmas tree ever cut and displayed. 56 feet is what you're going for. Why not? Why not? It's Christmas. 200. Not too bad, actually. Not too shabby. (laughs) 221 feet. (laughs) It's one each for the Christmas quiz. You can cut the air with a turkey carver. (laughs) What year was the first Christmas tree sold in the U.S.? And I'm going to give you a clue. It was the 1800s. The first Christmas tree ever sold in the United States of America. Closest year gets the point. Miss Morris. 1836. 1871. I've got to do some basic math now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm incapable of doing that. Uh, Miss Morris. Shoes off. Miss Morris. <laughs> supposing it's an odd number. <laughs> Miss Morris's closest. It was 1850. She shall nice. get the second point of the evening. The first state in America to officially recognize Christmas in 1836 was, and I'm going to give you the closest state. Of course, I'm geographically redundant, and this is a foreign country for me, but I will try and suggest the closest state if you don't guess which one it was. The first state to recognise Christmas as a holiday in 1836 was the state of... Virginia. Virginia. New York. New York. Miss Morris has got another point. It nice. was Alabama, and I believe Virginia wow. is further south yeah. than New Alabama. York. The last, the last state. It's interesting. The last state. Now, Christmas was declared a holiday by the American government in 1870. But the last state to declare Christmas a legal holiday was some years after that. It was 1907, and it was Oklahoma. It's a bar humbug to everyone who's living in Oklahoma. So even though the government said it's a national holiday from 1870 onwards, they didn't recognize that in Oklahoma till 1907. Hmm. Last question. During the Christmas season, how many sets of Lego are sold in America every second? Every second. Every second. Sets of Lego. Miss Morris. 50. 50 sets of Lego. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle. I would say, let's go with 100. Miss Morris is on fire. I will say so. She is 4-1 into the lead already, but we will claw that back, so don't worry. 28 sets of Lego are sold every second. Now, you know you're a ghost hunter when all of the presents under the tree with your name on either beep, light up, or can help you see in the dark. This is <laughs> more... a perv. <laughs> You've got a perv under your tree, have you? Sometimes. <laughs> so you're a perv if under your Christmas tree every present with your name on beeps, lights up, or helps you see in the dark. 
Wow. <laughs> and be sure, ladies and gentlemen, to get plenty of batteries over the Christmas period. We run into the round that is. <laughs> you don't want to see little Johnny's face, do you, on Christmas Day and he's opening his presents. You've got no batteries in the house. That's true. It'd be very sad. You'd be yeah. taking him out the TV remote, wouldn't you? Yep. Have you ever done that when you're searching for random batteries around the house? Of course. You go to that little drawer you've got in the kitchen where there's paper clips. Oh, I thought oh. you meant beside the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, madam, that I do not keep paper clips in the drawer by the side of my bed. <laughs> That's where I keep the extra battery. <laughs> she says that, but it's a car battery. <laughs> The last, time she got that, the last time she got that up and running, the street lights dimmed and someone was drinking the juice in town. They had to oh. throw another leather at the power station. <laughs> we run into the round that is ghosts and hauntings before we get taken off air. Miss Morris, what have you got for me tonight in the round of ghosts and hauntings? In a small town of Kamina Gora, southwest of Rocklaw in Poland... A 25-year-old Camille surprised everyone when he woke up after being declared dead of cardiac arrest. Not another one. Wow. Yeah, another one. The young Pole had just been to the pub, after which he felt bad and had a massive intake of vodka, which is why he felt bad. I'm assuming he had alcohol poisoning. Okay, I'm taking notes here. Now what? How did he feel? He felt bad. She heard the word a large pole and she's decided no. to make notes. I heard mass quantities of vodka. There. He went These up. are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> he went outside and collapsed shortly after, suffering from cardiac arrest. Several came rushing and called for help. At the same time, they carried out a rescue attempt and nothing helped him. Nothing. Not even a slice of lemon. Nothing. Huh. So Camille was then rushed to the hospital where, despite multiple attempts, they had to give up on saving his life. A heart attack had hit the pole and they were not able to save him. Subs I can't believe you're laughing. What's wrong <laughs> with you both? <laughs> this is meant to be a show full of Christmas cheer. Any other stories of dead poles that we can cheer people up with? <laughs> Sounds like a bad joke. Subsequently, he was taken to the mortuary where he was placed in a refrigerator. Mm. So an ice pole. <laughs> I love this show. I love this show. Highlight of my week. Put your tongue on it. See if it sticks. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Later the same day, a guard at the hospital heard strange noises coming from the room in the morgue where the refrigerators were. Young people sometimes break into the morgue. Body really? snatchers. Yeah, no. re remove gold teeth no. and rings. I don't think that's what they want to do. But the sounds oh, came no. from the refrigerators. So with shaking hands, I opened one of the doors, and there I found a naked corpse who asked me for a blanket, said the guard. Can I have a blanket? <laughs> and a drink. I'm just putting my head down for an hour. <laughs> so he, got, he got an hour away from his wife over Christmas. Fair play to the man. <laughs> the, the guard called the police and a doctor who quickly came to the morgue and surprisingly found the 25-year-old Camille had risen from the dead. He got his clothes back and politely asked if he could go home. 
After a medical checkup, he packed his things and I took off. Want a medical checkup from the doctor that two hours earlier said <laughs> I was dead? Yes, you're dead. Anything else you want to look at while you're there? Well, on the way home, however, he oh went, no, 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 he went back to the pub. Oh, <laughs> I knew it. I thought you was going to tell me he got hit Making by Making me a proud. Car. After all, it's not every day one survives death. And then it's most certainly time for a celebration. So cheers. Merry if, Christmas. If I lived in Nostrovia. Good, there you go. Bless you. Wasn't that the vampire in a German film back in the 1920s? If I lived in Gdansk, I'd be hitting the bottle as well. Eerie footage shows a Jesus statue moving its head during a Catholic procession. The spooky video has led some to believe it was a sign from God. But others claim the footage was fake as they could see a cloth on the statue's back moving. It was his cape. This is Super Jesus. I can see it now. On his shirt, he's got an S and a J. Super Jesus. He can walk on water and he can turn water into cheap Albanian sherry. The clip was filmed (laughs) during a pilgrimage in 2014, but it's gone viral this week after being posted on YouTube. While some people were amazed by the video, calling it amazing and incredible, others were not convinced. One YouTuber wrote, false, at the moment that it supposedly moves its head, you can see that the tunic moves in the back as if it's been pulled. Puppet Jesus. (laughs) With detachable cross, there you go. Happy birthday for Sunday, by the way. The clip has surfaced just a few months after spooky footage of a Jesus statue Opening its eyes has left some believers claiming it was a miracle. Paranormal investigators have scowled over the video, which appears to show the figure quickly open its eyes at a church in Mexico's state of Zaragoza. While a church service appears to continue in the background, the effigy then seems to slam its eyes shut in the eerie clip. How bad must your sermon be that even the statues in the church are crying and closing their eyes? <laughs> need a bit more variety maybe a bit of a twist at the end the odd joke bit of humor is necessary there i suspect if you wish to see jesus moving his head like a bobblehead in a catholic procession you need to go to our facebook site more questions than answers with adrian lee miss morris is on five i'm on four michelle is on one what have you got for me tonight michelle in the round of ghosts and hauntings well it's a good week for statues Oh, good. (laughs) Thousands of people flock to visit a statue of the Virgin Mary that has the ability to heal the sick, the owner of the ornament claims. Tom Powers says roughly 50 people a day visit the statue, which he claims also weeps, moves, and changes color. Mr. Powers runs a healing surgery where people with ailments such as tumors, heart problems, and deafness come to visit and be cured. What's Mr. Powers' first name? It's not Austin by any chance, is Patty. it? Patty. No. Patty Powers. <laughs> a superhero from Ireland. Yep. Fantastic. The 73-year-old has revealed that he is now seeking a new home for the Virgin Mary because he cannot cope with the volume of visitors. Mr. Powers from Tralee, County Kerry, told the Irish Mirror, people have seen tears coming from the eyes, others have seen changes in the color of the face. He added, you ready? There's been a movement in the head, the arms, and even the eyes. Oh, no. I didn't realize he was from Pakistan. (laughs) He's from Kerry. Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, aren't they? (laughs) We've had thousands of people here to come and see it, and they've been coming from all over. 
To be fair, you have lived in Ireland. I have. You do have some background in research there, haven't you? <laughs> sure, I lived in Cork. You're not doing what Miss Morris is doing and just making it up. <laughs> You've actually done field research, haven't you? I have. It was a while ago, but... Our Lady needs a home for Christmas, just like she did 2,000 years ago. Oh, nice. I mm-hmm. like it. I'd like to keep it in Tralee. The statue belongs to the people of Tralee and Kerry. We need a place where it can be seen properly. Nice. I like it. Very subtle. A little chapel or hall where people could come to pay their respects (laughs) and say a few prayers would be ideal. I have to say, this is the best accent we've ever had on this show (laughs) in three and a half years. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. I can't even touch that hillbilly accent. No, no one can get near that. That's unique. That's Blarney. (laughs) <laughs> you can be kissing my Blarney stone Never kiss the Blarney stone Oh that's a terrible thing People wee on it Do they really? Mm-hmm. Nice I, I, I knew some kids from, from Blarney And they do go up and pee on it Really? Oh. So it's a little bit tart A little bit kind of Salty Yeah, yeah salty. Kind of Tangy 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 Just the uh, process of kissing the Blarney stone by the way Is you get thrown out mm-hmm. over the side of a castle on some battlements And you have to hang your head upside down I couldn't do it I got um Wee wee on you. Yeah. Nasty. You got vertigo. <laughs> I did. I Terrible. couldn't do it. I, I couldn't get to the stone. So no good luck for you. No. No. I'm I got I don't have the gift of the gab, obviously. No. No good luck. <laughs> I'm enjoying this trip around the world. You keep going with that. All right. He added, Things happen every week that you could call miracles. But of course it's not about me, it's all to do with the statue. She wants to show herself to her people. Mr. Powers became a minor celebrity in the 1980s when he told stories of the statue's miracles on TV and in newspapers. He once revealed that he experienced a miracle himself while living in London in 1982. We spent a year there and never got mugged. (laughs) He claims he was praying to God in his kitchen when a great white light started coming towards him. The next thing he knew, he woke up in his dining room, totally blind, and could hear God talking to him. He'd left the gas on the stove. <laughs> so I hope that the Holy Mother gets a new home. There we go. If anyone wants to give a home this Christmas to the Virgin Mary, if you have a stable going free. <laughs> in Kerry. In Kerry. <laughs> I'm sure she can travel. They must have a donkey there yeah, somewhere. somewhere. So if we can supply a donkey and a stable, we could actually give the Virgin Mary a home this Christmas. Mm. We need to start an appeal. I read a fabulous story this week. I'm going to squeeze it into the round of Ghosts and Hauntings. The title was How to Appease Household Spirits Across the World. If you're lucky, you can live in a home where a hairy little household imp will help keep your kitchen clean or a domestic god will grant you everlasting good fortune so long as you keep them happy. As you prepare your home for the holidays this year, here are some tips on how to keep particular household spirits in good standing. Now, this first spirit is Slavic. comes from the Slavic states. It's called Domovoy. 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 This is a Slavic mythology. This is a little little hairy imp known as the Domovoy. It's one of the world's creepier household gods. As the legend goes, each house has a personal Domovoy, which usually resides somewhere beneath the threshold under the stove or in the oven. The creature or the creatures are sometimes thought to be the spirit 
of the original head of the household. I think my mum had some demonic activity around the stove because I remember her moussaka once and that did stay with me for several weeks. <laughs> Domovoy take the form of a tiny old man about the size of a small child with a long grey beard. So that would be my dad. Sometimes they mirror aspects of a family ancestor or even the current head of the household. They can even take on the form of a cat, a dog or even a snake. Now, to keep the Domovoy content, if you're in any of the Slavic countries, you must keep a tidy household, apparently. The home needs to be kept in good condition, with dishes cleaned and put away, food not left out, unless it's a small table offering to the Domovoy. Wow. Never going to happen. Are we in trouble? Shocking. I think these uh, myths that go back so men can say to the women of the household, you need to wash up, you need to put stuff away, you need to clean. Otherwise, the Domovoy will come and get you. A little hairy imp running around. Let me read a couple more out because these are so much fun. There's one here called the Kotihalt Eyer, which I'm probably massacring. In Finnish mythology, there's a type of spirit known as a Haltija, which acts as a protector of someone or something. And among these spirits, the Kotihaltia looks after the home. Similar to other European household imps, the Kotihaltia is a little elf figure that can act as a little helper or a trickster, depending on his temperament. I'm going to do one more. There's one in Northern English folklore here. It's called a hob. Coming out of the folklore of Northern England, the hob is maybe one of the most well-known types of household spirits, having inspired the Harry Potter character Dobby. According to the folklore, hobs are a more variable type of household spirit, which can also inhabit shops, farms and other homes, helping with the work there and being less closely associated with a specific house or family. Not unlike in the Harry Potter series, hobs traditionally look like stunted elves that mainly come out at night to help with the chores, preferring not to be seen in their work, apparently. Household hobs are often a positive presence, but one thing they really hate is to be rewarded for their work. Traditionally, a hob will become offended and leave should the owner of the house try to give them a piece of clothing. However, pretty much any praise could be seen as an affront and cause them to disappear. Just leave the hobs to get on with their work, and everything shall be fine. How do I get one of those? We need one for Christmas, don't we? Mm-hmm. We need a little hob. In my stocking. Hobgoblin. That's right. There you go. Hobnobs. Hobnobs. <laughs> so good. If anyone knows what a hobnob is, that's a traditional English chocolate wheat biscuit, and you dip them in your tea, and they taste amazing. Mm. We do need one of these. There are... A list of these. They come from all over Europe. If you go to our Facebook site, More Questions Than Answers, with Adrian Lee, there's many, many of these little creatures, and it has every country listed. Lots of fabulous little illustrations. It tells you all about the spirits that live in our house in and around Christmas and how we need to praise them, what we need to give them in terms of gifts and how we look after them. So that's there for you. So many thanks to all of those little imps for helping us with our housework we move into the round that is ufos and cryptozoology it's green men and it's hairy beasties the headline reads shock claim roswell ufo mystery will be solved in months the infamous event which will reach its 70th anniversary in 2017 and nick pope who investigated ufo phenomena for the uk ministry of defense 
until 2009, says he believes the truth is out there. Roswell Daily Record newspaper reported in 1947 that an alien spacecraft crashed in the New Mexico desert. A press release was sent out by the military that it found the remains of a crashed flying saucer, but the next day it backtracked. It was instead claimed to be a damaged US Air Force air balloon, and many people believe this was a cover-up. People reported seeing alien bodies within the UFO which were taken away by the authorities. Mr. Pope said on his blog this week, as every citizen of Roswell knows, the city is at the centre of one of the greatest mysteries of all time. In 1947, something crashed in the New Mexico desert and was taken to Roswell Army Airfield, now the Roswell International Air Centre. He added, as we approach the 70th anniversary of this much-debated incident, the Roswell Daily Record is launching a campaign to resolve the mystery once and for all. While people argue to this day about what happened in Roswell in the summer of 1947, nobody disputes that something crashed. Many believe the mystery will never be solved, but Pope is determined. He added, 70 years on, is there any hope of solving the mystery? Pope said in my experience the key to solving a mystery like this lies in the community in which these events unfolded. That's why I've teamed up with the Roswell Daily Record to launch an appeal, because nobody denies there was a crash. We know there was wreckage. And because no cleanup operation can ever be perfect, and because people like souvenirs, we believe there could still be pieces of this wreckage somewhere out there in the local community. He's going to get every weed-smoking Vietnam vet in New Mexico coming forward, offering him bits of a dashboard from a Chrysler, isn't he? Saying they saw something. 1947 was a long time ago. That's the year my mother was born. There's not going to be that many people knocking around, is there, I would think. I hope he succeeds. He's written that in the local paper there, and he's hoping for people to come forward. If you wish to see that story in full, you can visit our Facebook site, More Questions and Answers. With Adrian Lee, I am now on six points. Miss Morris, you're on five. What have you got for me tonight in the round of green men and hairy beasties? Well, after a landslide in northern Iceland buried a part of a road, a series of mishaps have angered elves <gasps> and their believers. They are. Oh, it's that- a Christmas show crammed full of elves. <laughs> elves Angry elves. Imps, goblins, and hobs. <laughs> That's because a special boulder was covered with dirt and rubble by workers. That boulder was known as the Lady Elfstone, as purported home to the mythical creatures. The local authority had a discussion about it, and officially a decision was made at a local council to clean the stone because of the elf lady and her family living there, said Magnus Scarfendinson. Bless you. (laughs) If you say that three times in a row, an elf will actually appear and will get a wish. So I've been led to believe. I apologize to all the people of Iceland. Well, he is the headmaster of the Icelandic Elf School. And that's what he's telling, as it happens, host Carol Off. Carol Off? Yes, right. I'd love to think that her husband was called Frederick. (laughs) Elves known in popular culture as toy builders for Santa, cookie bakers in trees, and those who help rid Middle Earth of Sauron. Wow, that's a huge job description. (laughs) Are very popular in Iceland. 
The Icelandic elves are said to be of a human appearance, are visible, and are generally peaceful unless you mess with their homes. See, I've got this image now of all the elves around the Christmas dinner table. You've got mother elf, father elf, you've got the two kids, and the mother's saying, why can't you be more like your brother? He's fighting evil. He's fighting orcs in Middle Earth. And all you're doing is making cookies. Why can't you be more like your brother? But I'm happy making cookies. Do you yeah. see the difference? He might be good at it. He might be good at it. Mm-hmm. But he won't ever be like his brother, will he? Mm-hmm. Look, his brother, there's pictures of his brother all around the walls wearing armour, fighting hobgoblins and orcs in Middle Earth. That's right. And then the younger brother is making cookies. Got like Stan. a fifth place ribbon there from you go. Elf Camp. From Elf Camp. <laughs> Participation medal. medal. Nice. For the elf 200 yards. (laughs) Dash. The typical consequences are workers actually get sick, bad accidents, machines break down, just to name it, everything goes, said Scarfendinson. (laughs) (laughs) What's his first name? Let's just call him by his first name. Magnus. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) He adds, nobody dares to ignore this. After the rock was left buried, the road flooded, industrial machinery failed, and a journalist fell into a mud pool and had to be rescued. By the way, <laughs> where's the Icelandic accent? I don't have that in my repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not stopped you before. You just need to sound like Bjork. That's all you need to do. Once officials were told that elves supposedly lived inside this rock, they moved swiftly to uncover and power wash the boulder last week, something that they were actually required to do by a 2012 law designed to protect the Elf- Iceland's elvish yeah. heritage. Elven safety. But, oh, Wow. <laughs> I know. The F word was nearly said. Then I heard it whispered. (laughs) Actually, 54% of Icelanders believe that elves exist. 54%? 54%. That's 12 of them. What do the other 11 think? (laughs) Wow. Magnus Skarfenfundinsen. Magnus, yeah. Yeah, is founder and headmaster of the Icelandic Elf School and leader of the Paranormal Foundation of Ireland. Iceland, and you can find him at theelfschool.com if you want. Elf School. I am so going there. Yeah, and it's the Elf School. The Elf there, School. There must be an another elf school. Several others. <laughs> See this? <laughs> the original. Oh, <laughs> right. This is part D. <laughs> I like the fact that they're fighting on Iceland. Great. Which school did you go to? I went to the. The. (laughs) The most important the in the English language. Well, I just want you to know that in general, elves are good creatures. Scarfendinson says. Magnus. (laughs) So if you're in Canada, he says you should keep your eyes open because apparently nearly one third of the Icelandic nation immigrated to Canada and the U.S. in 40 years in 1875 to 1915 and quite many psychic people immigrated from iceland to canada psychic icelandic people that's right and they met elves and hidden people (laughs) hidden people in canada (laughs) in winnipeg and manitoba so there's hiding people in canada in case you were wondering i'm gonna look for that elusive canadian icelandic (laughs) psychic that you read so much about my granddad actually built the runway in Iceland 
Iceland was the only country during the Second World War that Britain invaded because we needed a runway so they could have aircraft protecting the... Did you really need to invade it if there were only 10 people there? Well, we turned up, gave them a few sandwiches, <laughs> a cup of tea, and said, we're building a runway. I should give you points for your Icelandic elven story. You are now on seven. Government complicit with alien conspiracies to hide military exercises, shock claims. It is in the Defence Department's best interest to keep truth-seeking Brits wearing tinfoil hats, claims Malcolm Robinson, founder of Strange Phenomena Investigations. Its motive may be similar to the US government, who he said took 10 years to admit that the spate of diamond UFO sightings were down to a trial of high-tech steel fighter jets. Mr. Robinson told the Daily Star Online, the American and British government are happy to let us believe that sightings are UFOs when it's just their own new technology. It makes me wonder what's going on here. Mr. Robinson added that 3% of unexplained sightings were down to black budget technology. How would you know it's 3%? When you're not meant to know what is black technology. How would you then know that's 3% of all UFO sightings? That's a good guess. The reported, it's not a good guess, it's just a guess. (laughs) (laughs) The reported existence of a black budget or black operations budget first emerged in the US after the Defense Department began reporting huge accounting holes at the end of each financial year. Wild claims suggest that the holes prove that taxpayers' money was being siphoned off for top-secret military technology. You wouldn't need to leave a hole. You'd just say military technology, wouldn't you? Right. You wouldn't write secret military (laughs) technology. (laughs) Truth seekers claim the new technology would never be allowed to appear on finance receipts or balance sheets where publicly available. The government never confirmed or denied its existence. But in May this year, a senior U.S. government insider revealed that black programs have played a part in widespread UFO cover-ups, which Hillary Clinton promised to expose had she not lost her dream of becoming the president of the United States. It was this so-called black budget that was allegedly used to pay for the stealth jets that sparked a huge alien conspiracy in the 1950s. Years later, the CIA later admitted that half of the UFO reports were U-2 spy planes over Roswell. So now we're at 50% of all UFO reports are now black ops, rather than the 3% we had earlier. Similarly, Mr. Robinson believes that the government may want us to believe that what we are seeing in the sky is alien, And it's not. The Ministry of Defence previously funded a UFO desk during a period of alien sightings in Bonnie Bridge in Scotland, Warminster in Wiltshire and the RAF base in Rendlesham Forest. But it was shut in 2009. Imagine having to go to the job centre. You've spent 10 years working for the Ministry of Defence at their UFO desk. You've made redundant in 2009. They've given you a good severance package. They've given you all the equipment you've got on your desk. So you've got a stapler and you've got a few pens. And you go to the job centre and they say to you, so what's your skill set? What qualifications do you have? And you say, well, I research and document UFOs. And they say, well, we've got a space opening up in Burger King shortly if you want to apply for that. I shall give myself points. We move to Michelle, who is still stuck on three. What have you got for me tonight in the round of UFOs and cryptozoology? A mysterious black helicopter is seen chasing a UFO in scenes that could be straight out of the sci-fi series 
The X-Files. Nice. Window cleaner Darren Cooper raced to get his camera when he spotted a small dark object zooming across the evening sky. As it hovered above him for a few minutes, he managed to capture it in the sky before it flew off into the distance. But just two minutes later, he was startled when a black helicopter swooped over his house in hot pursuit of the UFO. Darren, who lives in Southampton, said, As I went back to the house to look at the footage, within two minutes the helicopter was above the house, so I ran back outside with the camcorder, and the chopper was on the same path as the object in the sky. Black helicopters showing up after UFO sightings have been reported across the world since the 1960s, but nobody has managed to film one. They are said to be a covert military force engaged in a secret UFO monitoring program. Declassified FBI files have revealed how ranchers in Colorado reported seeing the jet black aircraft during a wave of cattle mutilation cases where animals had organs removed with surgical precision and were completely drained of blood. It's so, a chupacabra. Yeah. Which, of course, means cup of coffee in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get me one. I'll have one of those chupacobras, please. <laughs> Put an extra shot in that for me. Some investigators even claim that they have been harassed by these phantom helicopters, which sometimes fly silently and have no identification markings. Darren, 39, who lives in Thornhill, doesn't think the UFO he filmed was a balloon or a drone. Before jumping to conclusions, I ran back inside to grab my camcorder. It was a little higher in the sky when I first noticed the object, but it seemed to change course and turn slightly around the houses while descending before eventually disappearing into the distance. Seconds later, after I had gone back into the house to take a closer look at the footage, I suddenly heard the helicopter overhead. So I grabbed the camcorder again, ran back outside to film the helicopter on the identical path of the UFO film just minutes beforehand. Darren had the footage analyzed and was startled to find out the UFO looked like a dark ring. He added, on closer inspection of the object on the PC, I noticed that zooming into the object, it looks like it has a hole in the center. It's a donut. A donut. They're following a donut. Yeah. The same day, a friend of mine told me he had also taken a closer look at the video and found even more strange things hiding in the clouds. Could you imagine the police in this country if they had to follow a giant donut? It'd be like a dream come true, wouldn't it? Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we move into the round. That is the strange and the bizarre. It's the stories from around the world that are too strange and too bizarre not to read out on air. But don't fit easily into any other category. Pakistan's national airline has been mocked after a goat was sacrificed or ward off bad luck following one of the country's worst air disasters. Oh, that's bad. After one of the world's air disasters, surely the horses bolted. It needed to be done before one of Pakistan's worst air disasters, surely. Afterwards, he's kind of missing the point a little bit. A little bit. Pictures went viral showing the PIA ground staff slaughtering a black goat next to an ATR-42 aircraft, which was about to leave for a domestic flight. It was the first such flight since PIA grounded its ATR fleet for test after a December 7th crash that killed 47 people. Oof, In Pakistan, killing a black goat is supposed 
by many to ward off evil. As they make terrible pilots, they don't have opposable thumb, and they have a very <laughs> short attention span. But the move by ground staff in Islamabad prompted disparaging comments. Once it was established, the images were genuine and had not been photoshopped. A Pakistan International Airlines spokesman was swift to point out that the goat had been slaughtered by employees on their own initiative, and the airline management had no hand in it. Meanwhile, if you have lost a goat in the baggage claim, I have some bad news for you. Comments on social media were mixed. While many mocked PIA for indulging in superstition, others defended the slaughter as a practice endorsed by Islam. Oops, those jokes aren't so funny anymore, are they? There was a footballer, there was a soccer player, his name was Dean Saunders. He played for the Welsh national side back in the 1990s and he signed for a Turkish football team called Galatasaray and he only played several games for them. He said he was shocked that on the way to the stadium before the game started, they slaughtered a goat on the coach. And he said he couldn't be doing that every week, so he only played a few games for them, and he came back to play again in Britain. That is a true story. I'm now on seven points. Michelle's on five. Heather is also on seven. So what have you got for me tonight, Miss Morris, in the round of S and B? I'm thinking of everybody, and I'm thinking of their Christmas dinner. Your philanthropic nature knows no bounds, does it? We have to take these things into consideration. I love Brussels sprouts. I just I thought I'd share that with you. So I'm going to tell you about a man who has spent his life eating roadkill. And That's has, good eating right oh, there, boy. Oh, and here has we go. revealed that he'll be having for Christmas dinner. Nope. Raccoon. Roasted whale. Oh, uh, one of them land whales, you think so? <laughs> Roadkill. <laughs> Can you imagine the wife sat next to you in the car and you're saying, you told me to go left, so I went left. And you're sat there in the middle of a lake with a whale in front of you. Oh, no. We're going to have to tell the farmer we've killed a whale. Arthur Boyd. 77 has been dining on roadkill animals for years. You could dine on a whale all of your life and get a bar of soap and a candle out of it. (laughs) And some perfume. And a corset. They are perfect. (laughs) There's all your Christmas gifts. What says love and Christmas better than a whale? I can get you some soap. Miss Morris can have some candles. Nathan can get a corset. Everyone's happy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Well, he's been dining on animals such as weasels and hedgehogs and squirrels and otters. No. And instead of a traditional turkey, his meal of choice over the festive period this year is part of a sperm whale he has stashed away in his freezer. A sperm whale. How big is his freezer? Was this one of these land whales that climb out of the ocean? That's land shark. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and Arthur says he wanted to make sure the sperm whale didn't go totally to waste. So he said, regulation do say. <laughs> yes. That it's, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> oh, thank you. That Heather. it's wrong to take any part of a cetacean. <laughs> it's. The responsibility of the beach owner to dispose of it. The beach owner. So he's driving along the beach now, isn't he? Hit mm-hmm. it. It's already dead. It's been washed up. Yeah. That's going to be funky. Oh, it's a little bit funky. No, you're not getting Smells it. Smells fishy. No, it's funky. <laughs> you're not getting it. You went funky. It's funky. Oh. Try it again. 
Funky. No, you still haven't got it. Funky. I can't do it. Funky. Try again. Funky. No, you still haven't got it. Funky. I can't do it in a southern accent. It's funky. Funky. <laughs> if you take a piece home, you are disposing of it and you are helping the beach owner. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with taking a little whale. His favorite dishes include fox, rabbit, sparrow, deer, and pigeon. Oh, God. Who's going to stuff a whale at Christmas? That's a lot of bread, isn't it? (laughs) You'd think it'd be terrible greasy. Onions. Where would you put the onion? In the blowhole? Can I put my onion in your blowhole? Oh, the strangest thing he has tasted was bat. And he once had porcupine he brought back from a holiday in Canada. Last year... Can you imagine being stopped by customs? And they open up the trunk and there's a porcupine sat there. I know. Last year, he hit the headlines when he revealed that he ate flipper or a dolphin for Christmas dinner. He says he got into a lot of trouble as a result. He added, because I helped myself. (laughs) SeaWorld weren't happy either, I might add. No. The people got angry because I was just helping myself to a dolphin. But by doing so, I was disposing of it, wasn't I? Chicken of the sea, dolphin. Which you're supposed to do, right? Am I right? Am I? I'm right. So he's eating stuff that's been washed up on the beach. We, that's detritus. The owner of the beach wasn't doing it. <laughs> the owner of the beach. No, I, I did take a look at that dolphin, but I thought to myself, it's looking a bit gassy. I'll turn that down. The dolphin was not very exciting, though. Maybe it's because I didn't cook it properly. <laughs> but I plan to Cooking do it. Cooking with dolphin. <laughs> But I plan to do it a lot, a much better job with that there whale. Mr. Boyd, whose wife is a vegetarian. No wonder. <laughs> no. No. She never used to be, I might add. Oh, my. But ever, ever since the incident with the manatee, she decided it's just lettuce oh. from now on. <laughs> Claims roadkill is the best way to go about eating meat and is also revealed he is currently working on a cookbook. They added... I'm working on them now, one of them books. It's been called Roadkill Eater, Recollections, Reminiscences, and Recipes. 101 Things to Do with a Dolphin Carcass. I'm not sure when it'll be ready, though. It's been Because he's going to have to learn that trickery writing business. <laughs> it's been finished for years, but I just have not had anyone take it to the publishers. I, I know a publisher. I might have to look into it. <laughs> Ahead of his book's release, the retired biologist divulged one of his favorite recipes was Badgerhead. He said, oh. it's a treat I prefer for myself. Do you want the dark meat or the light meat? Head. Well, actually... <laughs> oh, look, Michelle's gone green. Actually, You're very delicate, aren't you? Very sensitive woman. The reason I like them, they're Badgerheads, <laughs> is because it's got five types of meat in it. Five. Yeah, whatever it was chewing at the time, it was dead. Oh my and god! So, and it's really simple to cook. You can boil that head up. Boiled. You can put it in a casserole. You can fry it with some onions and garlic. Mm-mm-mm, that's good. It's <laughs> good eating right now, boy. Smells good. Smells good. You can have it with them some of those taters and carrots, and it is so good. It's mouth watering. <laughs> Just because it hasn't got a label on it doesn't mean it's not edible. I've been doing it all my life. Sorry, we're going to disagree with you. I've never been ill once, I have you know. There you go. But his wife is vegetarian. (laughs) 
<laughs> what I'm taking away from that story. <laughs> he's lucky he's still married. <laughs> Can you imagine having your in-laws over for Christmas dinner? That'd uh, be great. Give me some of that there badger meat. That's, badger head. That's terrible. <laughs> I had, when I was at art college... I had a professor who was a bit strange, as most professors are in art college, and he would bring in roadkill for us to draw. So we'd go in on a Monday morning, and he'd be driving into the college, and he would find a dead badger by the side of the road. He'd throw it into the trunk of his car. That morning, we'd come in for our drawing lessons, and he'd throw a dead badger on the table and say, draw that. And the whole thing would be jumping. There'd be fleas abandoning <gasps> ship. Oh. Do you know when rats abandon a sinking ship? Fleas do the same on roadkill. They realise the animal they're running around and being a parasite on has just died and they're looking to abandon ship. And he had one of those little dust devil vacuum cleaners. So when all the fleas were jumping around no. him and you could see them hovering in a little cloud two inches above the animal, he'd go over it with one of those little dust devils and hoover them all up. Perfectly normal in art college. Michelle, what have you got for our final story of the evening in the round of the strange and the bizarre? A woman claims to have nearly chundered all over a Christmas tree after discovering on closer inspection just what the decorations were made of. Badger heads. <laughs> Snakes. Snakes. The Mumsnet user apparently went to a local festive church event where the trees had been decorated by different families, schools, and businesses. All lovely, she wrote on the forum, until I got to one tree, sponsored by a local hairdresser. Oh, no. Lucky it wasn't sponsored by the local butchers, was <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Or mortician. The woman oh. says that the tree's ornaments looked a bit odd. Were they of, eyeballs? Kind of furry. Oh, you see the way the decorations follow your... Oh, no. <laughs> Take the holes with boughs of holly. <laughs> and then realize that they'd been covered with hair. Presumably oh. human hair collected from the hair salon. So they've got some Christmas baubles, covered them in glue, and rolled them around the floor. Yeah. Oh. I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> I found it very disturbing. There was gagging, she concluded. It's the gift that keeps on shedding. That's shocking. <laughs> I didn't realize that hairdressers, when they're cutting hair, can have customers' hair fall onto their arms. And then they can have that hair start growing again. It can implant itself. Because that's what happens if you have a hair transplant. So I've seen the arms of hairdressers where they have like one ginger hair coming out. Or like a blonde one. Where the hair from a customer has fallen onto their arm, got embedded, grown some roots and started growing again. So if I cut my hair and sprinkle it on your head. Oh, shocking what are you suggesting i'm i was curious. it's an experiment yeah if you would like to run your hands through my hair i will take my shirt off we now enter the final round of the evening that is called not for your mother it's the round that we read out in our archives so thank you for coming to look for us we will make it worth your while i promise these are the stories from around the world this week that contain sexual content and innuendo that we couldn't possibly read out when we're on at 8pm on Dark Matter Digital Network, we have to wait till the show is finished 
and then we sit in the studio and continue with the mirth and merriment. Miss Morris, what have you got for us first in the round of Not For Your Mother? Stressed out because of all the work you have to wrap up before the holidays? Yeah, I could do with uh, de-stressing. I have a lot of stress across my shoulders at the moment. Well, why not settle yourself down with a nice, tall glass of Uh breast milk? Breast milk. But wait, where do you get that kind of thing? Well, in some... Well, woman's breasts, I'm assuming. (laughs) Well, This is going to be man milk. In South China brings us one of the most bizarre crime stories of the year concerning a computer technician who stole and drank a colleague's breast milk. As if that weren't enough, he also sent the woman anonymous messages bragging about drinking her milk, and then more messages that were accompanied by a photo of an erect penis wrapped in a plastic bag and another glass of milk. He then sent her a rice pudding that he made with his man gravy. Oh, no. If you're wondering how she could have been unaware of this in the first place, Lam Chunkan. <laughs> Lam. I've eaten that in an Indian restaurant. That made me ill for days. It's not pumpkin chunkin, it's lamb chunkin. It was a spicy. <laughs> I'll have the lamb chunkin, <laughs> two naan bread, breast milk. some pilau rice, and uh, a lamb biryani. A 37-year-old married father snatched the bottle of her breast milk from the office pantry back way back in March. Later investigation discovered that surveillance footage showed Lamb was the only one in the office using a phone at the time that the creepy messages were sent. Officers found that the phone contained both the messages and the pictures. Earlier this month, though, Lamb pleaded guilty to one count of theft at a Hong Kong court. His defense counsel said that he was very sorry for what he had done. So basically he stolen it out of the office fridge. Yes, he did, Cassie. So she must be expressing that in office time because her office is not a baby there. Right, right. Okay, so she's nipping into the bathroom. Yep. Expressing milk. They do that nowadays. Keeping yep. it in the fridge in the office. Got to keep it in the fridge. Right. Yep. Let's see where we are. Casting it as a one-time offense, Lamb said that it had been brought on by his inability to cope with the stress at work, which is why he stole it. I don't know why. On Wednesday, the court punished Lamb with 200 hours of community service for his crimes. Would you drink it cold or would you warm it up? I mean, here's the key. I mean, what would you do? I mean, would you? I mean, I'm lost for words. Is that going in the microwave? Are you going to? Perhaps you should ask him. I shall find out. Is that a smoothie with a few ice cubes and a? Are we warming that up a little bit? A little bit of yogurt. Oh, <laughs> could shake it up and make butter and cheese. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. I've made you a cheesecake. Well, this, this is what the court had to say. Uh, the exposure of the incident. French, is he? Oh. <laughs> if you're playing the Michel Curry snorting drinking game, uh, take a drink now. Others, Norwich. Is he Norwich? <laughs> trouble brought That's in Norfolk. The trouble brought to your family. Oh no, That's we're bordering a, on racism now. That's a punishment you brought upon yourself, Mr. Bond. But your family is innocent. That's going to be one awkward office Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> Milkshake, anyone? My milkshake brings, brings all the boys, boys to the, the yard. yard. I can't compete with that. <laughs> Sex robots could reveal your deepest perversions to complete strangers. You may think 
that what goes on between you and your sex robot in the privacy of your own home is nobody's business but your own. But experts have warned us, like fitness trackers and smart TVs, many of these futuristic sex toys will record and store personal data about how people use and store them. Unless questions are asked about how and why this data is being used, things could go badly wrong, according to Dr. Kate Devling, a senior lecturer in the Department of Computing at Goldsmiths, University of London. That's the university I went to, by the way. Hmm, I wasn't you... in computing. We beat them up. I was in the art department. <laughs> yeah, right. The, the, art, the art department. Yes. Let me get this straight. The art department. Yes, who was hoovering dead badgers. Beat up. That's a fight you want to see on the lawn outside of Goldsmiths College, isn't it? Computer nerds. You know what? It, it, reminds, it reminds me of Anchorman. That's They're it. Exactly. 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 <laughs> We're taking on the philosophy department next week, so they better watch out. The debate team. There you go. With their Heidegger and their Gantt and their Hegel, we will take them out. You mark my words. Right now, my big concern is about data. <laughs> Explained Dr. Kate Devlin. During a keynote session at the Second International Congress on Love and Sex with Robots, there's an what? international congress called Love and Sex with Robots, and it took place in London. Can we go? This week, we oh, ticked the box of the it. terms and the conditions without ever checking them. Would they send you specific ads based on the data they retrieved from your sex robot? Your spam folder could be filled with adverts for a can of peas, mayonnaise, <laughs> and companies specialising in cattle feed. Dr. Devlin oh cited the case of a standard innovation, a US-based tech company that makes internet-connected sex toys under the WeVibe branding, which is currently being sued. So you could have sex toys. If anyone's got sex toys at home, they could have chips in them where they're sending data back to the company. The company is being accused of recording incredibly personal data, including things like vaginal temperature mm -hmm. and preferred intensity settings without the user's consent. So toys mm -hmm. could be sending to companies the temperature of your vajayjay. So it would like to know whether you prefer it warm or whether you want a hot pocket. Oh. The woman's lawyer, Evelyn Rapp, said, this is one of the more incredible invasions of privacy we've ever had to deal with. Dr. Devlin said that in some cases, collecting personal data can be useful. For example, if it is fed back into the product to make it better, she says, highlighting a thermometer gadget that offers menstrual cycle tracking. So your sex toys could tell you when your menstrual cycle is due by computer you could get an email telling you that in two days time you will be starting your menstrual cycle and that information has come from your sex toy i would be unhappy if i bought a sex robot and it had a menstrual cycle i'm just saying even the robot had a headache and didn't want to do anything with me oh quick everyone grab a drink even the microwave refused to open <laughs> Or the batteries were dead. There you go, because you just used them for there. your Christmas toys. <laughs> All the fun of the fair. Michelle, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? Oh, an artisan cheese festival descended into chaos this week. 
The fromage-themed extravaganza took place on Wednesday at London's famous Borough Market, and hordes turned up. I said hordes. There you go, thank you. All eager to get a taste of free cheese. More than 18,000 people said that they were attending on Facebook, and it seems that many of them actually went, unlike most events. It was too packed. People vented their annoyance at the festival, complaining of dangerous overcrowding. At the cheese dangerous festival. Dangerous cheese. Dangerous <laughs> cheese. I want to start a band called Dangerous no, Cheese. Fromage. fromage. That's the French version. We'll be Dangerous Cheese and we'll have a French band. I'll be Swiss. Because you're full of holes? What are we? Yeah, that's right. I'm holy cheese. There you go. I'll call you Emmental. I want to be Havarti. Oh, no. I wish your jokes were feta. <laughs> oh, you need to listen more carefully. Um, I don't give a damn. I've got the blues. Oh. I wish your jokes were gooder. I'm sure they'll get cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> and relax. Henry. Only adding to the misery, others were frustrated at the appearance of a group of vegan protesters who hurled insults in an anti-cheese demonstration while streaming videos of sad-looking cows. Sad-looking cheese. This cheese is weeping. I think I it's can't great. Oh. oh, good one, Heather. Nice. I've got pains. Pain, I tell you. Pain. I can't believe... There'd be vegans protesting, because vegans are a very violent bunch of individuals, of course. Can you imagine going to a cheese festival and it being picketed by vegans? Wouldn't and they be, sad cows. So, wouldn't they be better off going to an abattoir or somewhere where there's industrial mechanical slaughtering of animals? You would think. Rather than a cheese festival. The cow doesn't get damaged, does it? In fact, the cow, it's very painful for the cow not to be milked. I went to a dairy farm once in Devon, and it was a bed and breakfast, and it was a farm... And one of my lifetime's ambitions was to milk a cow. I'm from London. I didn't see a cow till I was 15. But I always wanted, my ambition, one of my ambitions was to milk a cow. So we were on the dairy farm. The farmer's wife has made us breakfast. I said, is it possible I could milk a cow? And she said, sure. The farmer, my husband, he's milking at five o'clock out in the milking shed. If you wander out there, I'm sure he'll let you milk a cow. So come five o'clock, of course, I'm wearing my London clothes. So I've got my posh trainers on, my sneakers. I've got my stay-pressed trousers. Everything's looking good in the world. I'm up to my knees in cow shit, for want of a better word. So I go wandering out there, ruining my clothes. I say to the farmer, can I milk a cow? There's a barn full of cows. As far as the eye can see, they're having their udders with the little suction cups put on them. He said, sure, let me find you one that's placid. So he found me a cow that was more laid back, a little less stressed, because they're not used to being hand-milked. They're now used to being mechanically milked. So he said, there you go. He showed me what to do. He said, get in there. So I did. I milked the cow. I was very surprised. I thought their udders, obviously being a Londoner, not being a farm boy, would be velvety. But they were like almost reptilian. It was like a rat's tail. They were very kind of scaly. And I milked the cow. She had a little tag in her ear, five, six, three, four, one. And uh, she writes to me every Christmas now. It's true enough. I, I, one of my life's ambitions was achieved, and I milked a cow. It's not easy. 
It's not easy. Mm-hmm. You're right. You've got to squeeze and pull, and there mm-hmm. are there are you've got to have hand-eye coordination. Your motor neuron skills have to be in place. There's many things you have to do. I was very pleased. I was happy. I milked a cow. That's utterly astounding. Take it off me bucket list. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that because that joke needs to be ignored. Do not encourage her. <laughs> Kelly Fox had a torrid time and even got hit in the face by a flailing backpack. By a brie. <laughs> I, I couldn't get a look in at any of the stalls, she wrote. At one point, we were just stuck in the middle of everyone and no one was moving. I got elbowed in the boob. She got elbowed in the boob. And backpacked in the face. During a cheese festival. Mm-hmm. Shock him. Gave up in the end and went to Regent Street to look at Christmas lights. Was looking forward to it all this month. <laughs> Disappointing. She was looking forward all month to a cheese festival. That's shocking. When I first went to France, the only French words I knew were van and fromage. And I was drunk and constipated for two weeks. Miss Morris, what have you got for me tonight? (laughs) (laughs) My stools are nice and soft and spongy, so I don't know what to say. (laughs) Miss Morris, you have the last story tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother. I have two women that are absolutely amazing. Me and you. Absolutely. Okay, there's a second most amazing women. There's two sets of women. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Two women working at a San Bernardino adult store reportedly fought off a robber ostensibly armed in a most resourceful fashion by using the store's products to shoot him away. (laughs) Oh, no. So basically he was clubbed to death with a two-ended stick. Pretty much. Okay. I'm thinking of Snatch now. Oh, (laughs) yes, so am I, strangely enough. (laughs) I was thinking of Shaft as well. (laughs) Yes, when when Heather first mentioned that, the first thing that sprang to mind was Snatch. Well done, Michelle. Sorry, I meant the movie. (laughs) Oh, shit. You're sick. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I can't believe the first thing you said was that reminds me of Snatch. Why not? Give <laughs> <laughs> the only one. <laughs> Strangely enough, I believe you were. <laughs> If anyone else is listening to this and they thought of Snatch as well, do be sure to write in. The Uh, movie! (laughs) On on Wednesday evening, a man in a grey sweatshirt holding what appeared to be a gun walked into Lotions and Lace only 15 minutes before the store was going to close for the night. Lotions and Lace. Give to me your lotion. (laughs) According to the LAist, the would-be burglar demanded the cash in the register... Something that one employee, identifying herself only as Amy, <laughs> would not oblige. Hang on, your sister's Amy. Yeah, but she wouldn't be working there. <laughs> That's for sure. With a gun, he walked in. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like your sister. I just thought he was trying to be funny and to scare us. Scare us. Put them. Put the sex toys in the bag, and no one gets hurt. But but then I saw a gun. 
And it, um, it really. Are you chewing gum? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you was having a stroke. I was like, really? And then, you know what? I don't have time for this. <laughs> no, so we beat him to a pulp. So, Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> After Amy began to yell at the robber, he grabbed her arm, at which point the other employees started hurling adult toys at him. They then so garroted him with anus beads. They were they were beating him with the meat. Oh, in, no. in retrospect, <laughs> the women throwing the toys called the man that's a coward and noted that she and her co-worker were oh, we're pretty feisty well it's you should have hell. something to drink then <laughs> so what were they the, hungry as well by <laughs> like a wolf <laughs> they're pretty feisty well, all good things come to an end. So let us look at tonight's scores. In last place with the K2 meter with the dead battery, it is Michelle who scored a wondrous and Christmas-themed five. But in resplendent first place with the $33,000 IR camera is our little elven friend, Heather Morris. Yay! I just want to say thank you. <laughs> of course you do. Let's get us some badger head. <laughs> do not fear, listener. Remember, we'll be back with a whole new bunch of head next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre and weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site. More questions than answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can join my Twitter account at Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips. And remember, if you go to our archives, if you go to soundcloud.com and search for MQTA Radio, we now do an extra 20 to 25 minutes of the show off air that we can't read out for fear of being removed or getting a hefty fine in a round we call not for your mother they're the stories from around the world that contain innuendo and content that would be unsuitable for a mother of delicate disposition my gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to lorna hunter heather morris chaton drainer michelle corrie and all of the international paranormal society at intparanormal.net and all of the show sponsors including the lakes area paranormal interest group and mufon of minnesota everyone at mqta wishes you a very merry and prosperous christmas that's from heather michelle and myself and all of the team it just remains for me to say thank you for listening and remember be interested and interesting